call it are we are we calling our recent hiatus our recent break are we calling it maternity leave sure it could be maternity leave break, sure. for, break from i mean life. it sounds sounds like we've had a baby together <laughs> and we haven't yeah but you just talking to yourself would have been um a little little much as much as i love listening to your voice it might have been a little much for this every week it just wouldn't have been interesting would it me sort of rambling on about something everyone would be like i think there's i think yeah naomi you need to have a chat with her so we'll, we'll call it maternity leave because everyone will know that at the start of this year or a little bit into this year you had little one number two so yes. lots of things involved with going from one to two children, <laughs> as you've discovered. <laughs> um, and and I think on both our parts, parents, we both have aging parents with with some needs. They're getting a little bit more urgent, extreme, not sure. So I, I think life became life became we weren't even talking as much, were we? I mean, it wasn't like we're still having hour long chats every week. Oh yeah, no, just other other things just sort of took um, took priority as uh, as it goes, and it's a, it's always a combination of things, isn't it? it wasn't just uh, wasn't just the baby, but as you said, um, you know, other people to look after as well. So just uh, yeah, a lot of life juggle. That's what it is. <laughs> I, I'm feeling very grown up right now. <laughs> That's it. Really... No right. Life got in the way, but anyway, we're back. We're here, and um, good news is the tennis season didn't stop. Well, it never does. Uh, as we've said before, never it doesn't even stop. Does. It doesn't even stop when it's meant to stop because that's when they go off. And, and again, we understand this. They're, they're freelancers, they're contractors. They go and do the exhibitions and everyone says, why are they doing exhibitions? They're tired. Yes, but if someone's saying, I don't know, to Nick Kyrgios, come to the Middle East and earn X million for playing two sets of tennis, who's, who's saying no to that? I'm saying yes to that. Yeah, it really doesn't tire them out. We've talked about exhibitions before. They're, they're not proper matches. No. <laughs> so it's, it, it's, it really doesn't. Uh, sometimes they'll be on the beach in the morning and they'll just rock up to the exhibition at 5pm, have a little hit just to warm up a bit and play. They're not going through that. You know, that that's the thing is because being a tennis player, you're, you know, people just see the hours that you're on the match court for. But that's... Yep. That's such a tiny part of what you do. It's 24 <laughs> hours a day. So when you go and play exhibitions, you're still not on for 24 hours a day. You you literally are just doing the couple of hours and that's about it. So it's totally different. Oh, I love that. And we should say that while the life juggle has been taking place, we have continued to work. And once again, obviously. So we were both asked to work recently on the Billie Jean King Cup finals qualifiers. It gets longer, doesn't it? It gets longer. So we were both asked to work on it. And it was like, great, are we going to work together? Of course we're not going to work together. Why on earth would someone put us two together on a match or a tie? Just didn't happen. Didn't happen. Weren't together. And, and not only were we not together, there were two ties overnight, two ties during the day. We weren't even in the same time zone. No, exactly. I was, I was overnight, <laughs> you were during the day. So we didn't see each other at all, even though we were probably in the same booth. <laughs> So there you oh, go. Oh yes, we were you when you go down that corridor. Were you on the left or the right? Right. You know when you look at you. Oh, and I was on the left. Ah, oh. I was on the left. So we were in a different booth. But I was doing Spain Mexico during the day. Yeah. Oh, beautiful Marbella, sunshine, sort of mountain in the background, palm trees. Lovely. Just oh, I mean that was absolutely beautiful. And you were 
Were you with the USA through the night? I was with the USA through the night. Delray Beach, which was um, also, well, it started off a little bit sketchy because they did, they, they did the big American build-up. They you know, called everybody on to call, you know, they did the names. I mean, they, they do it in Billy Jean King Cup at all the ties, but, you know, the Americans really give it some. Um, and everybody came on with their flags and they were all stood there. And then anthems were just about to start. and uh, And then the announcer... Her and it was so funny because it was in the same tone that she'd been announcing everything. You know Blair, Blair doing yep. that. She does a lot of the American um, emceeing on the courts, loads of the interviews. All tennis fans will, will have heard Blair speaking to players. And yep. um, so she had this specific tone that she was announcing the players in. And in the exact same tone, she just said, ladies and gentlemen, please evacuate the stadium. <laughs> There's lightning <laughs> in the area. And you thought she was saying, ladies and gentlemen, please stand for the national anthem. So everyone was very confused because, you know, it was spitting a little bit. But, you know, in Florida, lightning's no joke. Um, if there's lightning within, I think about five miles, you uh, you have to evacuate. And, and so, so we were just about to do the anthems and just about to start, and then everybody had to clear the stadium and wait for the lightning to pass. Um, and uh, yeah, and then it did get underway and it was fine. But our our tie was quite one sided. I think similar to yours, we both got we did get the two one sided ties with very very strong teams um, and some very inexperienced teams um, on the on the other side. So it was uh, mine was USA against Austria, and USA did a clean sweep. Uh, they won four four zip didn't drop a set actually yeah we had our colleagues working on great britain france who we thought may have actually slept in the commentary box because their tie their tie was quite long and ours yeah spain mexico mexico at home they're a force altitude is their friend and they knock people over with the results You're like oh that was quite one-sided ah it was in mexico but then we come down to southern spain and and the spanish yeah, the Spanish were too good. So ours was quite straightforward on, on, on day one. Spain won the two matches. And I remember messaging you. Um, and you said, oh, how was your tie? I said, yeah, it was pretty good. Spain were too strong. And I said, how about how about yours? And you said, oh, there's there's rain or there's a delay. Oh, I think you said there's rain. I said, how bad? And you just wrote, they've evacuated the stadium. <laughs> <laughs> and I just was like, oh, that's not one you want to hear when you're kind of starting at 11 o'clock at night. No, and they actually did quite well, to be fair, from the original start time on the hour, which would have been a bit later because of the anthems. The actual start time ended up only being about 40 minutes after that. So it, it really wasn't 45 minutes after that. So it really wasn't too bad at all to to be fair they did quite well getting people in and out of the stadium but yeah no americans just way too strong i mean you've got jesse pagula world number three coco goff world number six that's your singles lineup and to be fair they're one of the best doubles pairs in the world so you know you you could do it all with two players um i mean they're they're they're, i mean as far as i'm concerned they're favorites to win the whole thing um but then they were one of the favorites last year and they they didn't even reach the semis so there you go. You never know with the Fed Cup or Billie Jean. Well, King you, Cup. you you just never know. You know, by November, I mean it was it was just brutal, wasn't it? They'd come off the back of the the WTA finals in Houston, and there was just a yeah. lot of exhausted bodies who were who were. I mean, Iga Swiatek. Remember, she said that she wasn't. She didn't feel her body would it would be right to switch from the the, the surfaces, the, the time zones, the travelling. It was all just that's you know all those things that sort of come into the mix and then what I love about the Billie Jean King Cup is you have those players 
that suddenly rise to the occasion. Those players that love a team event. They love that partisan crowd say they're playing at home. And Storm Sanders, let's think of Storm Sanders. I'm not saying she doesn't do good things throughout the tour, but boy, did she step up. And that's, that's what I love about a team competition. You get those... You don't necessarily have to be in the form of your life. Look, I, I thought Harriet Dart and Katie Bolt played really well, especially on day one against France, two players that didn't really have the form going into it. And they pushed them and it was tiebreak after tiebreak after tiebreak. And, and unfortunately for GB, you know, you've got Caroline Garcia, who's in the world's top 10. You've got Elise Corne, who just, you know, I think she's one of those players I really wouldn't have, if I was a professional tennis player, I really wouldn't have wanted to face. Yeah, she's a giant slayer, isn't she? That's what she does. She's got a very unassuming game style. There's so much drama. So much I just drama don't think I could. These. I don't think I could. Every time we, we had, I have to say, every now and then we had a little eye on what was happening in the GB of France tie. She just looked like she was about to cry and it was very emotional. It was, and I imagine if you're playing, I don't know, but you could tell me if you're playing against someone like that, it, A, I don't know, it's quite difficult to block it out, but B, it's quite exhausting when you're looking at this person the other end of the court and they're just going through every emotion under the sun. Yeah, it, it is. It's exhausting. But then everybody knows what they're going to get when they play um, when they play against her. And and uh, it's she's so animated. I think that's something... It, for me, it appeals. I've played against Elise a lot. I played against her in juniors as, as, and also in women's Was she as always well. like that? Yeah. Genius. Was she always like that? Yeah, of course. She's just being herself. And, you know, and it's not necessarily directed down the other end. Sometimes it is. It's often directed at the umpires. It's mainly directed at herself. <laughs> and and I think it's just sort of what gets her animated. And also the drama that comes with her are the scorelines. You know, she does not give up and she has won from serious deficits over and over and over again and she can you know steal things away and it, you can sort of go well, what on earth happened there and because she doesn't really possess any big weapons you also don't quite understand it I mean hasn't she beaten Serena three times twice when Serena was at number one in the world um just you know it's absolutely phenomenal some of the wins that she can can pull out and so she's quite deceptive so I think that sort of adds to the drama and that people don't quite get it they don't quite get why she's able to pull out those results because also she pulls out those results but it's not like she's ever been a top 10 player so she can't do it mm. consistently so it's it's yeah there's just something about Cornet that um is incredibly challenging to play against and I do think that most players don't enjoy playing against her and because uh, you're never quite sure but I think she's quite difficult to analyze I think from the sidelines to figure out why why are people so uncomfortable playing against her there are some really really strong teams in these qualifiers nine teams going through and once the the host the venue is confirmed and there's a few rumors it could be Switzerland who are the defending champions then if that were the case then there'd be a wild card floating around for someone I don't know how that's decided uh, normally it would be if if the venue was in a country that hasn't qualified they might give that them the wild card but if it's Switzerland that'd be interesting to see where that goes to so that will all fall into place um, in the in the goodness of time was that was that your first work back since the second little one was that your first yeah first couple of days and how how did first couple how of days did, yeah. how did you find that getting into work or or getting the time to to do the prep to do the work because it, it's different when you go from one is one is a handful two is two is more juggling yeah I think um it was fine it was nice I was looking forward to it It was nice to do something a bit different after a couple of months sort of at home and um yeah it was just the two days it was 
I suppose the prep was easy because you know the players. It's not like um, most tournaments where obviously there are 32 players and you're not going to prep all of them because you're only going to do two matches. So you have to wait for the schedule. And the schedule often doesn't come out until late the night before. So then you are very limited on the amount of time you've got to actually prep. Um, And if that is a time when you've got two kids and then it becomes difficult. But but so for Beijing King Cup, I mean, you know, two weeks before the event, you know, we know who's going, we know who's likely playing. Um, So I I sort of just was drip feeding it. I was each day just doing a little bit, um, just having a look at all the different players. And and for me, a lot of it's about watching their most recent matches. So re-watching just to see the the most recent form Um, because my job is uh, on this um, on, on this tie was to be the analyst so you know you need to know how they've been playing how they're playing today relates to that form and all that sort of stuff but um, yeah no it was so it was fine actually because I had um, a bit of a longer run into it I suppose so it was a good one to get started and it's only two days because obviously most events are seven so um, yeah so it was ideal really so did the couple of days and I'll be back for um, French Open uh, Wimbledon and then uh, yeah back to normal really so can't miss French Wimbledon not possible no can't do no we well we're currently on the road to Roland Garros aren't we that's what they sort of call it starting with Monte Carlo and then and then off we go so we I don't know if this is too big a question to unpack or maybe there isn't an answer um, Great Britain did really well they they fought they didn't have the best of form going in but they really stood up to the French team couldn't make it across the finish line is there is there a worry for you where we're at with with the British women, or do you think we're in a, we're in a good place? And Jodie Burridge has been doing well recently. I mean, where are you? Where are your kind of thoughts on on GB? Well, it was um, quite an extraordinary situation because Dart and Bolter, being um, the GB one and two uh, in that match, is what you would expect. But they are not yep. the GB one and two. Uh, at time of selection, it was Jodie Burridge and Katie Swan. Um, but both very inexperienced when it comes to Billie Jean King Cup, of course. So um, what a tough decision for Captain Kjothafong to make because Dart's been struggling with form this year, Bolter, you know, with her injuries as well. So, you know, they're, as I say, you've got two other players that are producing results more consistently, but it's not necessarily on the big stage. So uh, Kjothafong went for experience over recent form and you know look I think I wouldn't say that she was um, vindicated of that choice because of course they didn't win but they absolutely put in a fabulous showing as yeah. you would expect them to so you, you can't look at that and say that um, Kjothvang made the wrong decision um, it's just a very interesting decision especially to go with both experience. Sometimes people might sit a little bit more on the fence and go, well, let's take Burridge because she's the British number one and she's in the most form. And let's maybe take Dart for the experience. And then you've got those two yeah. um, and you've got a little bit of combination, but to go for both experience. Anyway, just just a very interesting thing. So no, I don't think that there's that it's trouble. Of course, we don't have anyone in the top 100. So, well, apart from Radicanu, but she made herself unavailable for the tie. Um, oh, yes, yeah, so I'm saying one and two. <laughs> two and three is what I mean. <laughs> two and three is what I mean. Sorry, Emma. Um, we know we're of, big of fans the available, of Emma. Of the available players. Of the available players, it was the one and Sorry, two. That's what I mean. She said she was unavailable. She was never going to yeah. play that tie, and that, that's it. And it's um, it's very close to Stuttgart, which is a tournament that she's always going to play, which is on clay. So maybe if there's a qualifier for us that's on clay, that she might be more into it and I say she's always going to play Stuttgart that's because of her one of her main sponsors Porsche that's their tournament and 
she sort of has to be there. Um, so um, anyway, yes. Um, so yeah, no, I'm not, I'm not. I'm not particularly concerned. Of course, we've got Emma's. Emma's starting to do a little bit better and get some more consistent results. I think we've got. So that puts you've got four players doing really well outside a hundred. Fran Jones just made the semi-finals in Bogota, you know, with a, a fantastic performance there. She played really, really well there. So no, I think there's a lot of um, there's a big pool of players, and that's what federations always look for. They they want you know we we need the volume because then somebody's going to be able to to push through yeah. and break through so um you know obviously dart and bolter have both been in the top 100 can they have a bit of a resurgence and then swan burridge and jones you know where does where does it stop really so no i think it's i think it's promising you know look it, it's in my opinion it's not where we should be you know we've got a grand slam we have a huge amount of money in this country you know we're not a huge country like the states as well um so we can target the money so i don't think it's um it's very good in terms of what we should expect from ourselves because i think we should hold ourselves to a high standard um but um with the current crop of players i think there's a lot of good stuff and you talk about volume and if you get volume you hope that one comes through also if you have volume of a of a similar standard they push each other we've seen that most recently let's look at the american men how they push each other and with the russians we had that little triumvirate of Medvedev, Hashanov, and Rublev. Good friends, travelled together, and Hashanov, as we've talked about, he, well, it was sort of Rublev initially, that quarterfinal US Open, then he had the injuries, then Hashanov for the Paris Masters, then Medvedev and getting to number one in Grand Slam, and now in a, in a fitting a fitting week for us to return when Andre Rublev has won his first Masters 1000 title. And I, I, think, I don't think there's anybody out there in the world of tennis that is not happy for Andre Rublev. I know it was so oh, it was so great wasn't it it was so emotional and you know he speaks so emotionally about it he's just so open isn't he he just says yeah. he he's just been desperate to win one of these things he's saying how difficult it is he's been knocking on the door for forever it feels like um and to have finally finally done that is you know that is huge hopefully he just sort of keeps going but I mean, yeah, everybody likes him, really, don't they? I mean, he seems to not like himself. I think he's the only person who doesn't like Andre <laughs> Rublev when he's punching his strings and he's just berating himself constantly. Um, every, exactly. Everybody just wants him to give himself a break. Maybe now he will. Maybe he'll go, <laughs> OK, I can breathe. I've won Monte Carlo. I don't think so. I but don't no. think so. I don't think that's like, going to be how it goes. What do you think are your strengths? Don't think I have any. What do you think you have to work on? Everything. Do you have any belief? Not really. You're like, brilliant. <laughs> Excellent. All right, then. Let's. Uh, are you let's, as good let's, as let's... the best? No. <laughs> yeah, not yeah, as good no. as the... Yeah, no, not really. I just, I'm just sort of, I'm just out, out here trying. What I thought was really nice is Stefano Sitspas recently. So a while ago, he made a comment saying that Rublev has, has no real weapons. And he's not going to hurt anyone. He's not really going to do anything. And he's not going to get to that sort of pinnacle. And recently he did an interview when he, he, apologized he said I made some comments it was after a loss my head was another place but he does have weapons and, and he can hurt people and I thought that was you might say it's quite easy to say after Rublev's now won a Masters but I thought that was quite nice of Sitspas to sort of address that off his own back because it's something isn't it with Rublev that we've talked about it's about the confidence but a lot of people have said yes he's got a forehand that is frightening but does he have the all-round game to win a Grand Slam and and, and to be the very best yeah, I mean, look, it's nice of Sitspas to to apologise. I don't think he meant anything 
you know, negative towards Rublev. He was obviously feeling very negative at the time of that interview. But look, that's probably what he believes. That's the sort of language that that coaches and players have all of the time. Before you go out on court, your coach will be saying to you, or his dad or or Patrick or whoever it is, will be saying, look, you know he's got no weapons. There's nothing to be scared of. That's just the normal language that people use. And we heard it a lot with the on-court coaching for the WTA. And I think people were taking it really personally and it's it's but you you've got to take on this person in battle you can't be going oh well, we know his forehand's massive so watch out that is just <laughs> not an appropriate way to prepare for a match if you're if you're someone like Sitsipas who has more weapons than he does and somebody like Sitsipas he's taller he's got more pop on a lot of his shots you you just sort of go you've got a bigger game than him you can get all over him so as far as Sitsipas is concerned I'm sorry but I sort of agree with him if I was coaching Sitsipas I would have said exactly the same thing should he be saying it in a press conference probably not because people can take things the wrong way <laughs> but he absolutely is just saying it's like when Ostapenko said you know I should have won easier than I did it's like yeah, that's exactly what your coach would say to you when you walk off the court and yeah. all the players know it so no one takes it personally um even players say it to each other if you say oh you're playing this 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 player I um oh no I'm playing against this player you played the other week what do you think they'll just go oh she can't move it's obviously <laughs> it's obviously not true but it's just how how tennis players talk so I don't really begrudge him that at all but we we absolutely love uh, love Rublev and I want to give a big shout out to Cam Norrie who knows his onions when it comes to tennis because he said at the beginning of the year you know do you remember a couple of years ago when they did that tennis TV video and they said who's gonna have a breakthrough year and he said can I say myself yeah, that's amazing and everyone was like all right Cam you know all right and then he won <laughs> then he Indian did. Wells <laughs> so he did um and then, uh, so he, he turns out he knew. And they did the same video again at the beginning of this year. They said, who's going to win their first Masters event? And he said, Andrei Rublev. Not the only one. Other people said. Medvedev said Andrei Rublev as well. I mean, it's, a, it's an obvious choice, I think. It's fair enough. And then they said, which one's he going to win? And he said, Monte Carlo. Oh, wow. So, well played. Well played, Nori. Yeah, so, if, I mean, we've just had the Grand National, which is a huge horse race in this country that people like, agree with, or don't. But a lot of people bet on it or pick horses. We need to be asking Cam Norrie for some tips. Maybe who's going to be winning certain things if he's... And, and I think Medvedev, it's an obvious answer because we've just seen that recently Andre Rublev was made a godparent to Medvedev's little one. So which cute. Which was oh. so... I mean, wouldn't he be, Andre Rublev, a fantastic godparent? Wouldn't he? Oh, yeah. Because he's cool. He's fun. He's uh, he's he's lovely. He's. I mean, I think that's. I think Hashanov was there. I'm not sure if he was a godparent or, or he was just present at the ceremony. But I'm pretty sure Rublev was made a godparent. I mean, yeah, hundred percent. I think that's a great choice. Yeah. Great choice. Oh yeah, so good. But it is nice because they do genuinely get on really well. They are yeah. really good buddies. And you know, Medvedev would be delighted for Rublev for winning that event. There's no sort of oh, I could have won it. And Medvedev's won enough. It's it's easy to be delighted for people when you when you're that good. <laughs> but um, yeah, I think it's just because everyone knows Rublev, don't they? They all know how much he wants it, how hard he works, and how much he deserves it. And uh, he's finally got it. And Monte Carlo is a good one to win. Yeah, and, and and as you say, hopefully it will instill a little bit more self-belief in him. I think it's going to take a while until maybe he truly, truly believes, but hopefully that will have, as you said, he's been working and trying for it for so long. But I think I think generally things, we didn't have Djokovic in America. We know the reasons why he will be allowed into 
America by the time we get to the summer and the build up to the US Open. We then saw Monte Carlo, the elbow had some strapping on it, which is not good because he's had elbow problems before. We've got Holger Rune, who I think, in ter- you know, in terms of the young players coming through, I think he's going to be, I think he might be the best for the game. Runa. Well, the combination of the three of them is quite spectacular, isn't it? Sinner, Alcaraz and Runa. It's quite, you've got all the boxes ticked because you've got, you know, the fire of Alcaraz and you've got the sort of the ice cool of Sinner and you've got the attitude of Runa. Like they just are, oh, what a great trio. Sort of mirroring, obviously not in results, but sort of mirroring the big three that, that we've had in that you had the fire of Nadal, you had the ice cool of Federer and then you had this sort of incredible confidence and attitude from Djokovic to come and disrupt that um so yeah and uh it's not surprising to me that you know Nadal always took Alcaraz under his wing obviously they're Spanish but there's lots of similarities and uh um and Djokovic has taken Runa under his his wing really from by all accounts and and uh has uh mentored him a little bit as well I mean Fed's not around so Yannick you're on your own but <laughs> He's got Darren Cahill. He's fine. He's got Darren Cahill in his camp. I think it's a really good person, a really good voice to have in there. And and Holger Rune, he'll annoy crowds. He'll annoy his opponents. He obviously annoys his mum. Just like Djokovic. When he's sort of yelling at her. I mean, he's he's just that. He's the package, isn't he, Rune? Oh, he, he is. There's, there's so much to love about him as well. Like, he is a, he's a good kid. He's, like I say kid, he's not that young. But, um, you know, he's he's a, he's a good person. But that's... That's how he gets himself fired up on the court. And, you know, he is very young. And, <laughs> and uh, yeah, I think it's fascinating. I cannot wait for more Rune Sinner, Sinner, Rune, Sinner Alcaraz, Alcaraz, Rune. I can't wait for it. I think it's really exciting because, you know, Rune may not have the natural ability that Sinner and Alcaraz have, which is absolutely off the scale, but he's got the belief. You talk about Rublev. You can't, you can't buy boy. it. You can't, you, you can't pick boy. it up. Can't make it up. <laughs> He has the belief that he's as good as them. And he said, he said, like, we're going to be the next big three. It's going to be shared around, you know. Maybe he won't get as much as Alcaraz and Sinner, but he'll he'll be in the mix and, and good for him. Well, remember a few years back, maybe a couple of years ago, when he had those weird little elastic band ponytail things. Remember those little <laughs> tiny, like a hedgehog <laughs> thing on his head? I only link that because nice. that was the time when he was DMing Djokovic and and Nadal and everyone on Instagram saying can I practice with you you know th- this is the confidence this this young guy has to sort of message direct message the very best saying come on then practice with me I, and and look I, I'm, I'm quite envious I'm not someone who is overflowing with self-belief and confidence like that and I'm to to a degree I'm quite jealous of, of those characters and I'm sure Andre Rublev sometimes think why can't I be like that to a degree but um no I, I think it's fascinating also the number one battle I think there's there's currently around 700 points splitting Djokovic and, and Alcaraz. And if Djokovic is a little bit bothered by that elbow, that's going to be really interesting. And I'm also, I think it's also interesting on the women's side, because yes, Triontek still does have quite a chunky lead now from Sabalenka. But Anjibo winning in Charleston, I thought was really good. And then we've got um, Barbora Krichikova. Really great to see. Because when you think, this, this, is, this is her first sort of full proper season now, especially on the clay since she won Roland Garros. Because remember, after winning Roland Garros, doing the double, by the end of that year, she was broken. She was exhausted. I remember her coming through to the Billie Jean King Cup finals. And then she's been injured. And I just, it's really nice watching her and watching her playing again like she played when she won the French. 
Yeah, and proving that it's not a fluke because I think a lot yeah. of people would have thought, well, maybe she's going to be an Ostapenko type of character. And look, I'm a massive Penko fan and I don't think it was a fluke. I think that she's just been out in the wilderness for a while. <laughs> I think that she can come back. And she is coming back pretty strong at the moment, is Ostapenko. But, you know, the the immediate sort of after that, or a Radicanu, for example, we do see Grand Slam champions that are unable to continue at that level. But... She's just not one of them. And talk about self-belief. Her level of self-belief was is amazing. It was amazing, is amazing. She won that yeah. Grand Slam when she won the French. Everyone was surprised. Everybody <laughs> through that tournament had picked multiple favourites to win and every round it changed because they kept going out. Yep. You had to yeah, pick a new yeah, one, yeah, pick a new yeah, one, pick yeah, a new yeah. one. And yeah. no one ever picked Krejcikova <laughs> to win. It was bonkers. Um, but she just sort of stood there, took her applause and was like, yep, thanks very much. Of course I won a slam. What's wrong with you? You know, that's just, that was her sort of approach. And um, yeah, it's not a fluke. She's absolutely a world-class player. And uh, she's, I I sort of think she's like the player's player, if you know what I mean. As in everybody on tour is very envious of the way that she plays. It's silky smooth. It's so yeah. effortless, you know, all that stuff. And uh, I, I think that she gets a lot more respect from players than she gets from maybe, I think, fans and people watching at home, which is which is not how it should be. I mean, you know, fans should appreciate it, but there is something... Um, I mean, the way she plays is, is marvellous. It is fantastic. But as I say, I did hear quite a few people thinking that it was a bit of a, a rogue slam win, and I don't think that's the case. It was a breakthrough. That's what it was. It was her breakthrough mm. to the top 10, and, and that really is where she belongs. As long as she's fit and healthy, she will be a top 10 player. But isn't it nice to see you've got Krachikova coming into form. Sabalenka has kept up the form from Australia at the start of the year. She's kept herself up there. Rabakina, again, is playing some great tennis that she was playing kind of pre-COVID. Everything shut down. She came back and then Wimbledon and now she's picked it up again. I've enjoyed watching Belinda Bencic at the start of this year and some of the tennis she's playing. I'm really happy to see that Anjibur is now fit and winning that title in Charleston. It just, yes, Sriontek still has still has that lead at the top and it's still quite a chunky lead but I think it's I think it's really exciting in the women's game now the players and it's not just we've got a lot of power players in that's why I like to see Jabur in the mix but it's I think it's I think it's I know you could say people will be saying yeah but for years it's been the kind of in the women's game so many people can win and we never know I just think in terms of the rivalries that are starting to build I think I haven't even mentioned Pagula or Goff but I think it's it's really exciting in the women's game. Yeah, you got to whack Rebecca in there as well. I know she's not necessarily up there in ranking, but that's because she got no points for winning Wimbledon. Um, but she's playing some sensational tennis as well and it's going to be at the back end of tournaments. So, yeah, and I think it's the benefit of having so many years where it was quite spread around is that you have so many players now that are really experienced and they've been to Grand Slam semis and finals. They've been around. Um and you know, probably the most experienced, inexperienced of the bunch is uh, Jessie Pagula, who yeah, is just yeah. outrageously consistent. But she's just not been at the back end of those majors and winning those big, big, big tournaments. Um, you know, she's always around. I think people are really expecting that from her. But that's a tough position to be in when you're performing week in, week out. And we have seen through history a lot of players be very, very strong on the WTA tour and it not necessarily come to fruition on on the at the slams or even sometimes the big big WTA events so it'll be fascinating to see how Pagula goes because you know she's in her late 20s you know she's not fresh and young like a, a Coco Goff for example um, a bit of a, a later breakthrough for her but 
yeah no it's a it's a really good bunch and as i say you've got you've got the power of uh, a couple of them like sabalenka and, and rebecca um which will cause sviontek a lot of problem as yeah. we've seen yeah. yeah and then you've got the slightly different approaches of sviontek and jabur um to to add into the mix so you know it's a it's a nice yeah it's a nice bunch really it's it's look every slam is going to be stick a pin in it isn't it really out of that 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 section i think yeah i, I don't know where i'm suddenly going to say shall we make our roland garros predictions but because i was just it was just because last night um i was doing a few things for radio roland garros and i was looking at the entry lists and I know it can change because people can get injured and and form can happen and form can drop off, etc. And and firstly, it was nice to see the likes of Alina Svitolina in on a protected ranking and, and someone I was commentating on last weekend, Sara Cerebes Tormo. She's she's going to be in. She's using her protected ranking. So and Anastasia Pavlichenkova. I mean, we forget she was runner up at Roland Garros and then horrible injuries, but she's back in on a protected ranking. So. It, it's really nice. And then on the men's side of things, who did I see? Um, Kyle Edmund is in on his protected ranking. Yes, Kyle. Vesley's in. Delian's in on a protected ranking. I mean, it is... I so, mean, okay, the poor so... people ranked like 110 in the world. <laughs> you know, there's so many protected rankings. They just never, they're never going to get in. Oh, it's so frustrating. <laughs> okay, so you know what? We're not going to do our predictions now. Suddenly, as I was talking through oh, that... I, I can. Thought, oh. I can. Sviontek and Djokovic. Done. No. That... Um, <laughs> Um, I'm, you know what? I'm not going to give my predictions, so I don't know. But I'm not going to give either of those to win Roland Garros. That's all I'm going to say. Okay, fair, I need, well, that's fair enough. But I mean, look, it's still April, so things can change. Well, one thing I do. This is my yearly question for those listening, for those playing tennis, for those people wanting to put on their clay shoes and get out there. What are the things they've got to keep in mind if they're heading onto a clay court, maybe for the first time this year? What's going to hurt the next day, and what are a couple of pointers that they need to keep in mind with this surface? Oh, on clay, yeah, oh, yeah. Well, your groin for one. That's going to be. They can get a, a tweak here on there when you're sliding around. There's a big difference between slipping and sliding. <laughs> sliding is deliberate. Slipping is accidental. But everybody slips on the clay. And if you do slip, then it, it can be difficult. So you sort of need to wake up all of those little bits of your of your muscles in your in your legs and that sort of thing. Um, also, it's called the IT band, which runs on the outside of your legs, so sort of the, from your hip down to your knee, right on the outside, because when you're sliding, it's a, it takes a lot of strain there. That is, I can tell you, the worst thing to massage in the world. <laughs> it is, everybody hates the IT bands. It's awful. And I mean, honestly, as in people will just go and have massages and just say, don't touch my IT band. It's just, you they just let it, just let it get really tight. It's, it is so, oh. so painful to do. I think it's, for me, it was easily the worst. I think for a lot of people it is. Unless you've got an injury or something, then obviously that's going to be worse. But just generally a fit and healthy body, those ITBs are brutal, um, particularly on the clay. So that'll be uh, that'll be it. The ball's going to be up a bit higher, so your contact point's going to be a little bit higher. You're going to so that means you can come from underneath the ball more. You've got a little bit more time because it is coming higher, so you can get a bit more spin, a bit more work. Um, you're going to be running wider, um, longer rallies. So yeah, get get your runners on, get your grind out. You'll be a little bit further back on return, a little bit further back, which means you've got further to run. If they hit the ball cross court, you're going to be about a meter back or further back maybe even more um so you're going to have wider to run to to get the ball so yeah it's a real it's it's the work part of the season it's it's enjoy suffering 
That's it. Oof. You know what? I think I'm <laughs> going to stick to the hard course. I've actually more recently been playing paddle and then I went back onto a tennis court and I was kind of waiting for the ball to bounce off the wall at the back and there wasn't a wall because it was a tennis court. So I'm just confusing myself. <laughs> I'm, I'm mixing up the two sports. And although they're very similar, they're very different. And as I say, when I went, I think in one day I went from one to the other and that didn't work out well at all. But yeah, I think my conclusion is I'm staying on the hard courts. But um, good luck to everyone going on to the clay. Um, I'm really happy we're back from maternity leave. And Whoop. we'll keep an eye on everything and um, I look forward to chatting again next week yes can't wait bye bye